0: Yes. Don't you see? Don't you see how clear it all is? Not only can you see the future. You can. I can change it. You can change it exactly. Huh? Here. Yes, John, that is your, your dead zone. The possibility of, of altering the outcome of your your premonitions it's fascinating let me make a note what about my question sir huh oh you mean the one about uh, about hitler what would you do I, I don't like the sound of this john what are you getting at what would you do would you kill him all right all right, I'll give you an answer. Uh, I'm a man of medicine. I'm expected to save lives and ease suffering, and I I love people. Therefore, I would have no choice but to kill the son of a bitch.
1: The only thing we
2: have to fear is fear No. Be afraid. Be very
3: afraid. There's nothing to fear except God. Whatever that means to you. Do I look like someone who cares what God thinks?
4: Why do I say this? Because we got Holy You're listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear. What scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello and welcome to the intersection of faith and fear, where we discuss each week what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is Is the Fear of God podcast. Not only is today's episode one of our already special subset of episodes, dubbed Quarterly King, episodes that we feature every 25 episodes or so, meant to celebrate the gunslinger to our quartet, that of one Uncle Stevie King. But today is also an even more special of special episodes because the material we're covering is about a man who sets out to murder a corrupt would be president and this conversation releases on America's election day. No, that was not intentional at all. (laughs) I am one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey, and well, he was here a minute ago, but said he had to spend the afternoon making some bookcases. (laughs) We'll find out what that means. He'll be back, relaxed and with a smile on his face, I am sure, but in the meantime, I want to let you know that you can find the fear of God podcast, wherever you get your podcasts and that your official source for all things foggy is our website, the and also read. Hey buddy, that was fast. Hey, that, right?
5: was, that was fast. You interrupted me in the middle of my bookcase making. I, I am not quite prepared to, to just give well, me a minute. Okay. No, no, we're no, ready, no. We're ready when you are. Okay. I'm ready. I'm good. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> How are wow, you man? It's birthday month. <laughs> it is birthday you are, month. You are 40. crazy. <laughs> so hey, so uh there's 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 something afoot. There's something underway. I I hear I hear more than just uh than than just you going on yeah, in the man. Room around you. Are, did that multiple king? It's, personality disorder finally get diagnosed, or is there a, uh, or, or is nope. there something else underway? <laughs> still, needs get, still needs
4: to get looked at. But um, <laughs> being that it is a quarterly king, we do have some of our pod bros in attendance. Would you, you do you want to inform the listeners of, of who's in our company?
5: Oh, I would, I would be delighted to do that. Yeah. So as a matter of fact, we have made it plenty. something of a. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We've made it something of a tradition to introduce these quarterly kings by uh casting ourselves as characters in the uh in in the dead zone uh in this case but in whatever work we are covering from Stephen King. Um so this time around I'm doing uh a couple of qualifiers. I'm doing book casting only. So this okay. is book casting and uh and this is also um I, right out the gate because uh since somebody won't ever let us know uh let us forget who I was when we covered it, Beverly. uh, then <laughs> I, rem- I remember, I remember that. Yeah. Was- yeah. Wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna say, but, but, you know, now here we are. So, um, since, uh, since somebody, you know, won't let us forget, um, I also chose not to, uh, include Sarah in the casting choices okay. at all. I also think too highly and too fondly of any of you to cast any of you as the maniac Greg Stilson. So Greg Stilson is not in this conversation. Okay. That's appreciated. That having been said, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll start <laughs> with myself because boy, what a clueless individual I am. And, um, and I'm just, I'm just constantly spending Don't all my days think, on yourself, brother. thinking, Include thinking I forgive. know. Yes, that's true. That's true. Thinking I know what's really going on. But in point of fact, I'm very clueless and, uh, the town is ready for me to catch up. The whole town is waiting for me to get with the program. So, um, so in the role of Sheriff Bannerman, I have cast myself um, which I okay. think is uh, is 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 most uh, a, a appropriate for that. Well, but, Tom, um, Tom Skerritt's a handsome
4: individual and so are you. So. Uh,
5: not as handsome as Tom Skerritt but I appreciate the compliment. That no, that's kind of come now. So, so um, on. <laughs> I needed I needed a contemplative expert in his field. Somebody who is filled with the spirit of curious study and compassionate expertise. I needed somebody who was going to be able to um, just be able to hold his own and be able to to help, you know, wean people out of their sleepiness and be able to, you know, they've been in this fog for however many years and he can guide them out. In the role of Dr. Sam Wizak, we have Mr. Ian Olson. Ian Olson, oh, welcome you to have. the conversation wow. about the dead zone. It's, Wysak, it's so Wysak, potato, potato. Yeah. Dr. I know, w. depending on... Depending on movie or book, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of that other. Um, so, uh, we also, I w- also wanted somebody who was generous and, and, and always willing to learn and always willing to give people a second chance. Um, uh, though I, I must admit they're, they're occasionally quite wrong in their conclusions about everything. Um, so in, in that spirit, uh, cast in the role of Mr. Roger Chatsworth is Mr. Blake Collier. Blake, uh, how
1: I'm are glad. you, buddy?
5: Of
4: course. Of course. <laughs> the Rod. It, is,
5: it, is, it is really good to see you, my friend. Really good. good um, <laughs> and then also, uh, in the role of the lovable uh, everybody uh, just, just can't get enough of him, every man uh, who occasionally needs help reading the material that we have to cover but in the role of chuck chatsworth we have our wonderful resident everyman mr andy will hillibufus whitfield hello how are you sir? hello Blessings. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it is really really good to see you my friend um and so you know i when i did this i really wanted to cast Uh, Jimmy Carter, since Jimmy Carter's in the book, uh, because, you know, like that, that just delights my heart. Jimmy Carter's not in the movie, by the way. He doesn't make a cameo. I don't know why they didn't get on that, but he is in the book. Uh, but, uh, but I couldn't find a role for Jimmy Carter. So, uh, in the role of the one who, you know, has, has been wandering his way through a coma for years and years and years, forgetting everything that has gone, uh, on in the lives of all of his friends and loved ones. But, Holds holds your hand and makes you see things that you never knew were possible and real is my dear friend, Mr. Nathan Rouse, as Johnny Smith. Johnny, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Every time, every time I ask a question, you're just going to jolt. You're just going to jerk like, like I'm, I'm prepared. The for house is on fire. It.
6: It's not too late. <laughs> the ice
2: is
5: going to
6: break. Up.
5: <laughs> that was good <laughs> oh my gosh so okay so before we move into our big collection of uh of, of talk about the dead zone uh, which i think is going to be a really really great one um i must mention listeners a brief bit of business time if you have not taken the opportunity to go to thefearofgodpodcast.com click on the banner at the top to take you to the survey where you can vote on your favorite episodes of uh 2000 uh, your favorite episodes your favorite horror films of 2013 through 2020 go there vote now we are recording this a bit early so we are going to be we don't yet know what our coverage is going to be but you can influence that so go to the website click on the banner vote for your favorites we're going to be counting down your top 10 and featuring a film from the top 10 2013 all the way up through 2020 that starts next week. So you do not have much time. Please go and vote and, uh, make your voice heard, uh, as well we, as since this is ele- on election day, if we can influence anybody to move out and go and right now, make your voice heard in the much more consequential election, then please go do so. Um, please. and so, so yes, that is a brief bit we of, You want to get out now. of the dead zone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> true. True that. Um, so, uh, as, as, uh, has been our, uh, our predilection for a while, we, we actually, uh, have got a little roundtable of, of questions that we're gonna be discussing here. But do y'all mind if I, if I just hit with a couple of, uh, brief trivia bits to sort of launch Please. the pad? I, I should ask, does anybody have any particular trivial bits that they, that they researched or that they want to, No, nope, everybody's shaking their head. So, um, all right. So just mention a couple of things here. Uh, something I found interesting and this is in the film because I should, uh, say, uh, we are going to be mentioning both the book by Stephen King and the film directed by David, Cron- David Cronenberg. So to make Johnny's flashes seem more involuntary, Cronenberg would fire blanks just off camera to make him wow. jolt yeah it, it was actually it was actually Christopher Walken's suggestion he wanted it and so uh so yeah that's why just to make it a little involuntary that man's nuts that man's a little crazy David
0: something that, that is <laughs>
5: Something that is uh, well-known in Stephen King lore, uh, but The Dead Zone is actually the first of the many castle rock stories, which are horror tales that take place in the fictional main town that would arguably become Stephen King's most noteworthy fictional locale. Other castle rock stories include, but are not limited to Cujo, The Dark Half, Needful Things, and The Body, which would later become the film Stand By Me. Um, Dead Zone was King's fifth novel. It was published following The Stand, but it was his very first Hardcover number one bestseller. He had also published the short story collection *Night Shift* and uh, the two Rich- two Richard Bachman novels *Rage* and *The Long Walk* before *Dead Zone* was published. But *Dead Zone* remains, when adjusted for inflation and calculating all the rest, *Dead Zone* remains one of King's most financial successful novels wow. ever published from huh. at the time of its release. Um, so it was a it was a big runaway hit. Um, How much did it make? Did you? Did,
4: hey, uh, to believe Ray- it or
5: not, I, d- I couldn't find. Yeah. <laughs> Um
4: did you happen to identify where chronologically Dead Zone was published in terms of his career?
5: Uh seventy nine, I believe. Because I think mm, Stand was so that, Stand was seventy-eight. So
4: uh, when, uh, when was Carrie? Yeah. For oh first. fifth novel? Carrie right, Carrie was like seventy. Uh
5: Carrie Carrie was very first. Carrie was the right. very first thing he well, ever Like published. what year? Uh I believe it was seventy three. I'm looking it up right now, okay. as a matter of fact. Uh, what was the a,
7: book that's banned? When was that one? That's you Rage. you know what I'm
5: talking about? Yeah. Would, yes. Yeah. So Rage, which was published prior to <laughs> The Dead Zone, <laughs> but Rage, Rage was <laughs> Rage was prior. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So Rage <laughs> was published in '77. So Carrie uh, was actually '74. So this is five years into his known published career. Carrie um, was published in '74. Rage, which uh, which Andy was just mentioning, was published under the pseudonym Richard Bachman King. Has since requested that it be pulled from publication, so it is no longer in print. Though Stephen King's publications are so widely popular, it's actually not that hard to find a copy of Rage. But new, no new publications of it will ever go into print um, for reasons that I think are, are uh, well thought out and uh, and rightfully so. Um, okay, so I have a couple of other questions. Yeah, please do. So,
7: I had the expanded version of The Stand. So, it seems like, and we learned when we did the writing episode, if listeners Mm -hmm. will remember, that he, like, takes it as a job. Was he, does he work on two consecutive novels at the same time just because of the length of The Stand? Maybe this is not a question that can be answered, but Uh, my understanding of the length of So he works at about two at the set. So he's got like, okay,
5: thank you. He usually. So from what I understand, from what he said, like in interviews and stuff about his habits, is that he pretty much writes every day. Um, Right. He had jokingly said in one interview, I didn't write this down. So this is some of this is from memory If some of the facts are slightly off. But he had joked in an interview that he takes his birthday, Christmas and July 4th off, but that he writes every other day. In more recent years, he clarified, he's like, that was a joke. The truth is, I write every day if I'm working on something. I usually write Mm -hmm. for four or five hours every day if I'm working on something. That frequently means he's working on a first draft of some new thing, and then That's all he's working on while he's working on it. But then when he finishes that draft, he tucks it away for a period of time or gives it to some people to read and proofread and provide feedback while he's then working on something else, some other new idea that he's got. So then as he's as he's rewriting uh, and especially you can see this if you look at like the publication links and stuff as he's rewriting material, he probably could be working on four or five different things simultaneously because he's rewriting them. But, um, that, that from what I understand of how he's described his habits is what it is, which helps him stay so prolific and keeps his publication. His, he's published at least two books every year for the past more than a decade. Some of the oh, books wow. are thinner in length. Some of them are massive, like Under the Dome and 112263 and all these, but, and then some of them are thinner, like, joyland or the girl I loved tom gordon or whatever but he has published uh, uh, at least a couple of books a year for probably the ne- the last 10 to 20 years um so yeah it's pretty insane and he just recently published if it bleeds which i don't know i think andy you had started that one or maybe you finished reading it did anybody else read if it bleeds that's his most recent publication as of this recording i own it
7: ah, see,
5: there it is, there it is. Hey. It's, that's, that's a step that's, that's, that's half the battle that's half the battle um <laughs> So I have a couple a couple of other bits of trivia that'll probably come up as we move through. So y'all ready to get into some of the roundtable uh, conversation? Is that good? Okay, um, let's do it. All right. So I have a couple of prompts that we'll make, and then we will, um, you know, maybe pivot over into some deeper thematic waters. So first off, I want to talk about um, just uh, comments around the general performances. So this question is kind of open ended. I'll call on you um, and and prompt you to give your feedback. But the question on the table is, what are some standout performances, either performances that you really like or performances that you don't really care for and why? So, uh, Andy, I'm going to go to you first. um, And uh, and I guess as you're mentioning this, uh, maybe also mention, uh, you know, just sort of your history with it. Was this the first time you'd seen the film? uh, First time you've encountered the story, whatever you've got with it. And then talk about one of the performances from the movie.
7: Um, This was the first time I've seen the film.
5: This oh, wow. was the okay. first
7: th- this was the first time I have read half the book and
1: <laughs>
7: <laughs> I'm at like two ninety. Um, and to me, it felt like a TV movie. Um, mm, I don't know mm. if it was, but it, it felt like a t- made-for-TV movie, like Salem's Lot. I don't know if any of you have seen that. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was a theatrical release. <laughs> that was a dig. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> and um, Christopher Walken just wasn't who I expected Johnny to be from what I red you know he Mm. uh, i mean it might have been different i just i just expected johnny to be like younger i don't know how old christopher walken really is but he just looks like 50 (laughs) with like dyed (laughs) hair in the thing and sarah doesn't look exactly how i pictured her and i really wish the mom would have got more screen time um because i really i liked her character because of everything going on with all the conspiracy theories in the right. world right now yeah, um yeah like i you know yeah i just i liked it i like what she had you know it, it it just resonated with me because of everything that's going on right now yeah no, that um, makes perfect sense sure but uh and the dad was like super sweet it's just i the film was just it just felt like when you're reading the stephen king book are half of a Stephen King book. Uh, <laughs> it's so long and so detailed. And the film felt like it, it's like an hour and 20 minutes. And it's just like, boom, 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 boom. And the ending was a big surprise because
5: like, I, I never but, saw that coming.
7: I didn't see it coming, but yeah, um, I don't know. It felt like a TV movie, um, and I thought Christopher. I I I just maybe they couldn't cast good characters. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
5: so. All right, so not high praise from no, start, Andy on the performance. Starting on, on one thing. particular <laughs>
4: foot, there. Yeah. Right.
5: Um. No, no, no. no uh, I I I will come back to the commentary on the mom in a in a different question because I think that's a really important note especially because the mom is given a lot more time in the book than she's given in the film and there's a lot of interesting things going on to me interesting things in the book so we'll come back to that um ian i'm gonna come to you next performances uh that you liked or didn't like and also a bit of history with your your history with the story so i read the dead zone when
6: i was in fourth grade and i haven't read it since then i did not get a copy for this time around
5: Mm, yeah, sorry. understood. I'm sorry,
6: um, <laughs> I re I rewatched the movie, not the Anthony Michael Hall series. No, um, I rewatched the David Cronenberg film with Kristen when we got back from um, our trip to Minneapolis. Um, I had seen it some years back and didn't really remember much except Christopher
4: Walken constantly. Going, That's because uh, David Cronenberg was firing blanks. Off is that what it? Oh. Yeah, turns out.
6: <laughs> bunch of wild and crazy Hollywood magic method (laughs) acting um but I gotta I gotta tell you um I like that I like that Christopher Walken got cast in it he is such an atypical look Mm. that it makes it makes it stand out automatically Um, but also he just his performance is imbued with such wide-eyed astonishment and dread at what's happening that i just believe that we're witnessing in real time his own like discovery of these frightening inexplicable abilities where do they come mm. from what does this mean mm, um mm-hmm. just his his visage just communicates i don't know what any of this is
5: mm, um
3: mm-hmm.
6: so yeah, yeah, yeah. it just he sells it
5: Awesome. No, uh, understandable. Understandable. Nathan, how about for you? Sure.
4: Um, I saw the film first with you, circa I don't know two thousand two, somewhere in there, and but but only loosely remembered the plot or or just the major beats. I'd never read the text, and I did this time. Um, complete the audio version on one and a half speed. By the way, um, <laughs> what was really funny is every now and then it would it would auto reset itself to normal speed i'm like why is franco talking so slow um and uh did re-watch the film this go round. so the question of performance is one and a half times <laughs> one and a third times yeah or maybe just one completely um uh i will point to martin sheen whom i have a great deal of affection for the man martin sheen um and also a great deal of love for his jed bartlett of west wing and so this is such an extreme contrast to that um i um i had i I listened to the book in really close proximity to my first viewing of the film and because of that had some uh, more neutral feelings about the film because of how much i enjoyed the book in other words something like my reference to martin sheen i think he's great at full greg stilson I wish the movie had given us something more to kind of chew on. Although admittedly, even as I say that the book starts with him killing a dog. So it's not like he really starts at a place of, you know, being a peaceable person. Um, Of course. That said uh, to answer the question, Martin Sheen, I think is great casting and delivers what the script needs from him.
5: Sure. No, understand. Understand Blake. How about for you?
2: Uh, I'm going to kind of split the sheets. Um, All right. So, okay. So That's a new one. I I agree. Yeah. So so I agree with Andy that that I didn't picture Christopher Walken in that role, but I did see someone more like uh, like Andy Griffith ish, like mm. almost too good for for his own good. Like, and so like in that sense, like I didn't really think he fit. But on the whole, I mean, I I, I adore Christopher Walken, so I'm not gonna scoff at him showing up in a movie. Uh, I'll enjoy mm-hmm. it regardless. Now I do agree with Nathan that I think um Martin Sheen is easily the best actor in the film, mm. uh hands down, um, because he has that schmarmy, like just that grimy, like sleazy element. And I think he he pulls it off completely. And and like uh Nathan also said it's, it's interesting to see him go to such extremes playing presidential nominee and then the president and West Wing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It shows really the, the, the range of his acting ability. So, yeah, not what I expected for Johnny, but uh, I didn't dislike uh, Walken. And yeah. I think uh, Martin Sheen was, was superb.
5: Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so my own history, I I have only this this time through is only the second time I've read the book. I read the book um, in kind of late high school when I was acclimating myself with as much. I was kind of getting into Stephen King and reading as much of what had already been published at that time frame as possible. So I'd read the book then. I have seen the movie multiple times because the this the film is one of my favorite adaptations of King's books. So I'm a big, big fan of the film. Um, I think I probably am gonna heap the highest praise on Walken as Johnny Smith of, of anybody in our little collection. Um because to me, maybe because of when I encountered the film and when I saw it, uh maybe because of my feelings about his performance, uh Christopher Walken to me like has has embodied Johnny in a way that even as I was I also listened to the James Franco audiobook to reacclimate myself this time around. And even as I was listening to it, I couldn't see anybody else in the role of Johnny, uh, than Christopher Walken. One of the things that stood out to me is just like, he's not, uh, uh, unattractive, but not traditionally handsome. So, so Walken really sort of fits that, that bill. Um, also kind of lanky and a bit awkward in his, in his movements and in his presentation, which also, which also I kind of, uh, connected him with. Um, but also I think, Kind of kind of piggybacking on what Ian said, I think in brings a kind of um, almost a confusion to what's happening and uh, a bit of a benign innocence where it's like, I just, you know, I'm, I don't really know if I should be doing this or not. And I don't know if I should be doing this, what I should be doing and how I should be responding to what's happening. And I feel like that comes through really well in the book. I feel like the only reason it comes through in the film at all is a credit to Walken and his, mm-hmm. the way that he carries himself in the role. So um, for me, there's not really any performances that I dislike in the film, though there's, there's a, a collection of roles that are just like walk on. They're just, they're there. Um, I will I would, say that. Would, I'm sorry. Go
4: ahead. No, no, no. All, uh, all, I, I, all I was going to say is uh, purely, because it hurts my heart, uh, calling Dewhurst as an insane woman was really troubling and difficult sure, for me to sure. experience. I just want her to be Marilla Cuthbert, you know,
5: no, I understand. I understand. Well, and, uh, and that actor, uh, who plays Frank Dodd, um, the Nicholas Campbell, who it's actually has been from my understanding in a number of other Cronenberg films, uh, over time, but, um, he does, uh, a, a very creepy job. That one scene, uh, uh, you know and, and we'll we can probably get into this in just a second. This might be a good segue. Uh, my next question for everybody, and then i 'll answer with this moment is um a, a couple of moments from the production in general that really stand out to you. The film as a whole is not your traditional horror fright fest um it 's got some scary existential undertones it 's got some scary sort of uh uh, situational moments going on but if there is like a a, a straight-up horror moment I, I think it's nicholas campbell like getting close to uh, you know about to impale himself on those scissors which is a truly gruesome and graphic it's not quite the way frank dodd kills himself in the book um, but it is it is truly horrific um so i think he's really chilling uh, to that end my question is kind of two parts. So mention a moment uh, or two, if you want, uh, that you like about the production. I'm also curious to know, maybe these are the same answer, maybe they're two different answers, if there's something that you feel the book does better than the film or vice versa, compare and contrast the um, the book and the film and the specific adaptation. I'll give you kind of a second to think about that um, while I mention this one other thing. One thing that I will mention For myself that i prefer in the adaptation i had forgotten when i reread the book that the book spends about the first third with johnny in the coma like it's about a third of the way through the book before johnny even wakes up and because it's only about 10 minutes into the movie before he wakes up, I was really surprised. I was like, damn, he's still like, he's still in a coma. He's still asleep. <laughs> Somebody wake that get, man up. <laughs> we're getting to know all these people. I'm like, what's going, you know, what's going on? So that is one thing that I appreciate about the pacing of the film that I do think is smart is they didn't spend a lot of that time while Johnny was in the coma that the book lays out and, uh, and goes through uh, periodically so that's one big thing that I would mention um, Nathan I'm going to come to you next um, so something about the production or some differences mm-hmm. from the book that you really think are, are interesting or worth mentioning
4: um, I okay I will I will say a thing I like that the movie does that at least wasn't as clear to me if it's sort of presented this way in the book i really loved the imagery of when johnny's experiencing the hallucinations when he is sort of both in and out of them at the same time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. specifically that starts with the fire scene um and and just i don't know in my in my head i wasn't thinking about how they might depict this and so when he's suddenly in the home but in the bed it was really cool um yeah right so i really liked that because I spent so much time with the audiobook and grew to be so invested in the story I I would echo Andy in large part that the movie feels like a a greatest hits of the book while missing to me what is really strong in the book um, so for instance in in real specific terms here I think the the, the wheel of fortune carnival scene mm. is about as integral to the themes as anything in the book is.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And so to start without that felt, it's not, it's not that you can't omit certain things. It's that then also to your point, Andy, things like Vera starts at a hundred and never isn't at a hundred. And I think that's a missed opportunity. And in fact, my preference would have been just don't have her. Like if, if we're not going to see that progression, because ultimately I don't think it matters to the film because they give Bannerman her sort of signature line to Johnny. So she doesn't need to be in there. So, so it didn't make a ton of sense why you cut some rich thematic moments uh, in favor of other things that just don't matter as much, which, invites the question of majoring on the minors for the film version that all of that said in the book, I think that opening run of he and Sarah at the carnival, like what I wrote down was they're listening to the audio, which, which had a a different kind of frequency than reading, physically reading it. I was moved almost to tears at Sarah and Johnny's reunion. Once he does wake up, and I feel like the movie, what, what is so strong about the thread of that relationship in the book? It's, it's a tragic romance. It is, it is doomed and they both, and you as the reader feel the weight of that. I don't right. feel like the movie, which listen, I'm open to like reconsidering, but my first, my viewing of the movie this time with as much as I came in with liking the book, they were just, it was like, um, Iceberg, ice icebergs above the water. And I'm like, man, there's some really good stuff just below that you guys kind of left there, specifically with things like the Sarah Johnny relationship and what propels that whole thread, which is the Wheel of Fortune scene. I think that's
5: great right. scene. No, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Andy, I know you uh, had only made it a, a, about halfway through the book, um, but in general, either comparing, you know, piggybacking off of some of that. Or just speaking about some moments from the film that you responded to positively or negatively, what would you say about the general production and its relationship to the book?
7: Um, I I would echo um, Nathan's uh, iceberg um, comment. I think that like the beginning, the will of fortune scene, like he's on a roller coaster in the film, like that just is, is like, and he the fact a headache. that like yeah, he got a headache, <laughs> so but right. like. I think it would have been better to have shown him as a kid getting hit in the head or whatever happened. And then on the ice. Yeah. On the ice. And then he got, um, he already had the dead zone in him. If that's what we're calling it. I don't know what they're calling it. Um, it was weird that he was already sweating when (laughs) the fire thing happened. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) like, knowing what was going to happen in the book and then the um and then it happened like it's like he was art he already knew what was happening before he touched her and so that for me took away it didn't take away you know i knew what was going on but like he was already like sweating in a fire um and then she came and touched him so he was already there
5: I don't know. Um, <laughs> and um, What's interesting, what, I, I apologize for cutting you off, but what's interesting about that is that that actually wasn't um, like what that, what that uh, sheen was, was actually flame retardant gel that they had put on him. And oh, uh, wow. so, so then it was, and, and it created the effect, like you just described, it looks like he's sweating, but that was yeah. actually a very ne- necessary sort of uh, application for the practical effect of him being in the bed uh, while he's. Yeah. anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there because you'd mentioned that. Well, why didn't they cut the scene? Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it, it happened I mean, in two places.
7: <laughs> production, <laughs> okay. production limitations. 1984. <laughs> um, the other thing that I thought was weird is I, I don't know if it goes into the book about um, the kid who couldn't read. I expected him to be older, um, and like a football did you, star. Did you get that far in the boat? I got to I'm right where he is at the mansion teaching him mm-hmm. to read. And he mm-hmm. changed his um, yeah his way that he was doing it. So I didn't know that he changed like his life that he was going to yeah. die. But like, why couldn't any of those kids swim? Yeah. <laughs>
5: Well, and it's, it's worth mentioning, and maybe, maybe won't go into too many details here, but it's worth mentioning that if there is a major, other than just omissions for probably practical purposes as much as anything else, the major narrative change from book to film is that story. Because okay. in, in the book, um, Johnny tutors him all the way up through graduating high school. And Mm -hmm. then it is the night of his high school graduation. Johnny has a vision of him and many of his class peers burning up in a fire that uh, is at their local bar where they all go. It's like a tradition in that town where Mm -hmm. graduation night they go hang out at this bar. Well, Johnny has a vision Mm -hmm. that they're all going to die in a fire that night. And so he tries to get them to stop. The major difference, and and I apologize if I'm stealing what anybody else was going to mention. Uh, it just came up in the natural progression of things. But um, one of the things that I love so much about the book, I really wish they had found a way to do it, is um, in the book, the dad, his dad, um, yields to Johnny's uh, request and and invites many of the kids to come and just hang out at their house for a party. And he does it all while not believing Johnny. He doesn't believe that anything bad is going to happen but still invites the kids over and then realizes that Johnny saved his son's life and so because he had made that choice it's far less like gut-wrenchingly tragic as it is in the film. In the film the the dad is stubborn and still proceeds with it. His son is okay but all, you know, those other two kids died whereas in this one the, the dad feels a tremendous amount of gratitude to Johnny and it actually he goes on to pay Johnny's medical bills Be, out of gratitude. Mm-hmm. He just, you know, wipes the slate clean on all of Johnny's medical bills from the five years in a coma. So it's a much more mm-hmm. like in, enlivening narrative beat than they chose to do in the film, um, mm-hmm. though I don't dislike the thing in the film. It, it, he, he was much older in the book. You're, you're on par uh, there. The, Did you the, have yeah, go ahead. the
7: last thing I would say is I think the um, murders would have had a bigger impact if they were actually kids like in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's I know. I know it's. Yeah. It's hard, yeah. It's I know it's like 1984 and it's, it, it's, mm-hmm. I wish I couldn't see Ian right now. He's but...
6: Andy, a big <laughs> proponent of child murders in movies,
7: <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, I don't know. I just. Do you mean the strangler, the Castle Rock strangler? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. He killed kids. Um, well, no,
4: no, he killed all <laughs> over the age. Oh, the, book. Well, the yeah, last but
7: the- one. The, but the last one was like close to the sheriff's, like yes, daughter yes, and yes. stuff. Yeah. Like, I feel like that would have had more of an impact than. The, the girl by the beach i didn't even know castle rock was by the beach and you know so yeah there you go that's, that's yeah, my and thing. The, i think it, i think if it would have had some kid killing it would have had oh,
5: some <laughs> i understand i understand uh, the yeah in the book uh his final victim is a nine-year-old which is largely what pushes Johnny right. to Bannerman. go ahead and oh, try yeah, to yeah, help yeah. out yeah um so uh ian coming to you next same question
6: well, I mean, you mean to tell me that these people live by a beach and they can't swim? You know, <laughs> I, I don't buy it. Um, uh, a moment that I really liked uh, from the film was Dr. W. I mean, it's this verges into my favorite vision, but so I'll, I'll save it for that. And instead, I will say that um, the transposition of In the book, it begins with uh, Johnny on the ice, and he has, like, a vision, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And the way that that gets transposed into what happens with Chris, the student that he tutors. And he's trying to revert that. And it's, I just kind of wish that we had something from Johnny's childhood that I like that the dead zone in the film becomes the way that he and Dr. W are trying to understand like what's going on. And in yeah. the film the dead zone is like, oh, okay, so there's the possibility of changing this, right? But it is an interesting idea that in the novel at least, the, the dead zone is that part of his brain, his mind, that it's not functional, it doesn't work. And that right. the accident jostled what's been dormant for so long. Mm -hmm. That it has been exercised once before, and now here it is coming back in force. Right. So can we do without it? Yeah, I I think so. I guess it would have been perhaps then, you know, going on. A wooden roller coaster and getting a headache all of a sudden,
5: <laughs> right? Which is basically all that <laughs> happens in the movie. Oh, no.
6: Sarah, I
7: don't know what's happening. It doesn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go make some. Okay. I miss. Pictures. I miss Sarah throwing up from hot dogs.
5: You know. <laughs> oh, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so Blake, um, our, uh, w- uh, same question.
2: So I, I I forgot to say my uh, background of the film along the last question. So I'll, I'll say that oh, this yes. is probably the third or fourth time I've seen the film. Uh, I read the book or I listened to the book with James Franco reading it uh, back in like March April uh, for the first time. Um, so I production wise, I think for me. This this movie is a, is a film I watched uh, when I was young with my parents. I remember seeing it for better or ill. <laughs> Whether I should have been watching it at that age, I probably did. Uh, that's a whole other question. But but it's it's one of those that stuck with me for a long time. Um, sure, I didn't sure. Always, it wasn't one of those that like made me love film or anything like that. But when I would think about Christopher Walken, that's one of the first films that would come to mind. Um and so for me, just knowing, like coming into loving horror and, and things like that, knowing that this is a Cronenberg film and it, how severely different it is from the rest of his films during this right. time period. in his filmography is uh, it's one of those things like production It's I enjoy seeing or trying to figure out what it was about this material that drew him and mm-hmm. trying sure. to find him. In the film because it's so Different
3: yeah
2: um, So on that on that note it's, it's more of a General like production note like I Enjoy the film itself maybe For extra textual reasons um, More than anything but I think as far As elements between the book And the film uh, I, I actually didn't really Particularly care uh, For the mother in the book uh, So hmm. in some ways I I actually probably would have been uh, like Nathan fine with them cutting that part out of the movie completely and just letting um, uh, Tom Skerritt deliver those lines um, uh, without her appearance. So right. um, I'm open to that discussion because, because I feel like there's, there's some good discussion coming about the mom in the book. Um, yeah, sure. but I think, yeah, I, I think I can, I, it's hard for me to disagree with the, the, the seeming greatest hits uh, as has been said yeah. by Andy and Nathan, both and Ian to some extent um, that it feels very much trying to rush through um, the story. The book has a lot more detail. It will let you spend time with all the characters. Um, yeah. If I had one critique from the book, it would be Stilson feels a little too villainous. <laughs> <In
1: the book. laughs> like, yeah, in the, there's no, the book. like, yeah, yeah, there's
2: no, there's no nuance for him. Uh, he, yeah. and, and and, and I understand why probably King did that, but he, he always just feels detached from everything else. And, and yeah. like he, of course, this is the guy that is going to end up colliding with, with Johnny in the end, um, like <clears throat> right, from, right. from the time of the dog, he you know, kicks or kills the dog in the book. So, yeah, I, I think the book is clearly the winner as far as getting the detail of the characters down and kind of just letting you invest time in it. But, um, I just really like the production uh, as a whole of the film. So,
4: well, if I can jump in, it feels like a thing, uh, 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 a strength of the film, of the book is almost from go. You realize Stilson and Johnny are at opposite ends of a path that is just you know, if you picture like a V, there are yeah. two versions that is just going to collide, you know, yeah. and, and so that's kind of cool about the book yeah. is you like. And so in the book, uh, divergences like the Castle Rock Strangler and the Bannerman story feel less like uh, indulgences or pointless exercises as much as they just do we need to get to know how this stuff kind of operates for Johnny we need Stilson's rise to power to happen so that they are both in a position to collide with each other cuz that's a really cool trajectory mm. right um, right whereas in the book Stilson and I'm sorry in the movie and this on a certain level is kind of cool except it robs you of that two sides of the same coin feeling on a certain level I like that Stilson is pretty off the grid in terms of the film for quite some time. And then whether it's little posters, campaign posters in the background here, or a reference there, he doesn't have much of a role until about midway or so. And which is kind of interesting, but I think what is more interesting is the books take of these sort of items are rushing at each other and we get to kind of experience that trajectory. And it's, it's pretty cool. But if I can
6: jump onto that, so it's cool. (laughs) I don't think that one is, a priori better than the other <laughs> given that what the film is doing is walking is utterly beside himself not understanding what's going on is johnny smith is discovering a vocation um yeah right and I, we'll, we'll we'll talk about this more later but the fact that his abilities are a gift they are not a curse mm-hmm. so we are watching him in more or less real time figure out how to wield this um, not just like endure the fact that this happens um, outside of right, his control, right. but like, so wh- what do I do with this? Mm. And so it can feel like this picaresque thing, like the many misadventures of Johnny Smith, you know, and <laughs> they're just pearls on a string and they're not attached to each other. But I guess that perhaps if I try to give Cronenberg, you know, credit for the modifications introduced in this adaptation, That he's just capturing the person in the middle of a world, Mm -hmm. awakening to this thing, finding out how to use it, and discovering, okay, what I'm supposed to do is this, now that I've encountered this man. So, the the book gives you the epic vision of the divergent paths, the Mm -hmm. equal and opposite. I, I guess what I'm saying is, you have a hero of destiny in both, but in the movie version, you have the hero of destiny who becomes really takes up that station by being Mm -hmm. a hero of choice of saying, okay, this is what I have to do. Right. And, and, and finding it painful moment by painful moment.
7: Is that a literary trope? Is that the right word? (laughs) It will be. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
5: yeah. You know what I'm saying?
7: I'm not trying to make fun.
5: No, 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 you're not. No, it's uh, a, no, no, it's a, and, and, the what you're what you're scratching at there Ian is is I feel like the book it is we begin with Johnny and Greg we end with Johnny and Greg and mm-hmm. the uh, we keep talking about these divergent paths that we see steadily growing closer and closer together the film feels like four episodes four like you know 15 to 20 minute episodes of a yes. abbreviated TV show because it all feels succinct. The, his coma and him waking up and the reporter would be like one. Episode mm-hmm. two would be his uncovering of the Castle Rock Strangler. Episode three would be the tutel- tutelage of the boy and the closure of that. And then four would be Stilson. And Stilson does not feel as layered into yes. the rest of it. Admittedly, though, Martin Sheen does appear, you know, uh, about the time that the boy's being tutored and, and, and in sort of that part of the, of the mm-hmm. film. Um, but uh, but no, I agree that the book layers much more into hey, this is progressive, and these are this is a V that's coming together where this col- this ultimate collision is going to happen. And in the book, Johnny's own revelations, which will um, you know th- this will segue into the next question, his own revelations build upon one another to give him the conclusion to what he does at the end of it. Whereas in the film, it feels and I'm, I love the film. I'm not taking anything away from it, but it does feel very much like, huh. So I should probably do something about this, huh? So what do you think, Dr. W? Would you, would you do this or would you not? And it feels very sort of like spontaneous and of the moment. Whereas in the book, there's a definite progression between the things he could change, couldn't change, and then ultimately with the rescuing of, of Chuck can change and does change, which funnels him directly into doing what he does uh, with Greg. So that was going to be my next question uh, that we'll go around about is which of the visions, and I'm going to say from book or film for answer to this question, which of the visions do you find the most compelling and interesting? If you know why, great. If it's just something that resonates with you or, or uh, you find compelling, then that's also fine. Blake, I'm going to come to you first. Um, which of the visions in either the book or the film do you find the most compelling?
2: Uh, I mean, uh I feel like the standout is pretty easily the the house on fire uh, with the girl. I mean, that's that's the moment where I, I actually I, I kind of see Cronenberg his footprints the most. And uh, in, in the movie, is that it feels like Cronenberg's all about embodiment, um, trying to figure out how bodies fit in a space. And that's the first like, at least I think it's the first time that we see Christopher Walken kind of inhabit the vision mm, mm-hmm. and, and actually be a part of the vision. Um, yeah. And so it, no, it, like it, it's no longer just him seeing stuff. It's actually him experiencing the, 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 the shock and the horror of the little girl. And right. and it becomes a reality, like it becomes this, this is not just a thing that happens to me. This is, these are people's lives that I could right. do something right. about. Um, so, yeah, it's it's hard to say otherwise. Uh, I feel that's just such a standout moment that it's so different from the remainder of the visions that he has. Um, yeah. Yeah.
5: Yeah, no, uh, no, I understand. understand. Ian, what about you? What vision do you find most compelling?
6: Uh, the one of uh, Dr. W's past. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from a production standpoint, it's just a completely different setting. You know, just the... Um, escape of refugees in Poland as the Wehrmacht is rolling in. Um, Just an entirely different location. What's going on? It it just becomes a World War II movie for 30 seconds. Uh, So it's just visually completely um, light years away from anything else that we see in the movie. But um, then he tells Dr. W, and I found it really moving that Dr. W is saying, like that's um, that's impossible. My mother's dead. But he looks up the name, calls number, and we hear someone pick up. And then the way that he just covers his eyes, like when he hears mm-hmm. his vo- her voice, I found that really poignant.
5: Yeah. Well, and also I'll I'll comment on this one thing that may come up later. More substantively in a later question, Doctor W's differing responses to Johnny's questions there are really important because Johnny points him in the direction of his still living mother. He calls her up, can't have a conversation with her, and when Johnny asks twice, says because it wasn't meant to be. Mm-hmm. And then later he asks Doctor W, in different contexts, he says, "You know, if you had the chance to go back and kill Hitler, would you?" And Doctor W says. You know, uh, I, I don't I didn't write the whole speech down, but basically like I uh, have have taken an oath to preserve life and to protect people and uh, and to make sure that I give deliver care to the sick and, and the needy. Um, and so on that basis, I have no choice but to kill the SOB, you right. know, and so and which is a very contrasting response than what he had to his mother, which I find very interesting in general,
6: which I also think brings cohesion. So, yes, I agree that structurally there's a disjointedness to mm-hmm, this film, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make it feel so like, you know, why is he right, asking this right. guy for his advice here? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, because because he can say, like, it wasn't meant to be. I, I'm just not supposed to get back in touch with her again. That's, right, that's over. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the kind of person that you ask this question. Right. And, and of you course. can reasonably expect, like, I'm going to get a good answer.
5: Mm-hmm. No, no, understood, understood. Nathan, what would you say? Uh, most compelling vision.
4: I mean, I, I think the fire one, the the that one is probably the strongest because of how unready I was for what it would would happen, just sort of in film, you know, like just mm-hmm. just in camera, um, and and it kind of woke me up to oh okay this is kind of cool um right right yeah I've got thoughts but they don't quite deal with this question so we'll
5: okay we, to put them. we can save them we can save them uh Andy what about for you what would you say uh
7: the killer scene um mm-hmm. when he sees mm-hmm. the uh Tradition. um I don't know the guy just seemed I wish I couldn't see you guys um <laughs> The guys just seem kind of. He seems creepy. I I can. He seems creepy, and um, he just just the the setup is is just you know. I don't know. I just go back to the. Are we allowed
5: to talk about the book?
7: Or oh please! Yeah, yeah,
5: that? yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep, book, film, anything. Yep.
7: <laughs> I just I I think the the book is a stronger scene with the the killer, and I I like the idea of in the book where he's just like searching the ground and he gets frostbite, you know, in his hands and has to go to the hospital, you know, afterwards. And then the shooting of the mom, you know, he he doesn't see that. And I'm I'm getting off point, but I liked how he got to the scene of the killer in the book a lot more than just grabbing instantly. Like just, I don't know. I like, I like he, he, he could feel the area and know without it. And it doesn't do that in the, in the movie. He has right. to touch the person, but I like that he has this power that he could feel around the area and right. sense what's going on now. The, to your
4: credit, Andy, the, the book does expound or expand what is possible with those capabilities. And in fact, if, Uh, If you do end up going back to the book, there's a really interesting and fascinating uh, expression of it. When, uh, if you remember in the film, when he's hanging out in the gallery of the the lodge place where he shoots Stilson at the end in the book, he actually gets resonance off the wood of the floor. He's sitting on unintentionally, like it just kind of happens. So I'm with you. I think it's pretty cool when, he utilizes it beyond just the touch that becomes so performative and so theatrical and dramatic in the film. Um, So yeah, I'm I'm with you there.
7: Maybe y'all could clear this up for me. Um, Can he intentionally do this? Because I I wonder, and not to be crass, but um, when he and Sarah uh, meet again, they, Uh, they, 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 touch and t- does he not see so, the you know like i i don't, can he control great, it great, a great unexplored question
5: <laughs> well <laughs> and, and and so so honestly and uh, for the Love i was God episode. I, I was gonna i was going to mention that i i do wonder and obviously there's a a profound degree of of relationship that is baked into their reunion and and a lot of history but I mean, I, I did wonder about that, Andy, as well, like and and uh, have wondered about it before where I'm just kind of like, OK, well, why he just, you know, shakes Greg Stilson's hand and sees this big, profound, futuristic history. Now, he does in the book, he does have a vision connected with Sarah because he helps her find her wedding ring. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so there's, yeah, yeah, so there's that, that there's that piece of it. But why, when they're intimate, is it not? Does it does, does it does it not happen again? And, and the book doesn't mm-hmm. really even address or does it, does it? it happen? Right. Does I, it have to be? I guarantee he you, it? he
6: would.
5: <laughs> that, is, that is almost guaranteed. So, so, um, but I, I do think that's. The a, shotgun blanks. <laughs> <laughs> Fire that weapon. Fire that weapon. Damn oh. <laughs> the torpedo. Um, okay, so. Um, oh, no. but, uh, but in answer, I mean, in my answer. Sound. <laughs> in my answer to the question um, of of which vision I find the most compelling, and so the vision itself, uh, I'm going to mention both the film and book version, though they're different. For me, the the one is his rescue of Chuck. His his vision of the um the the fire that will break out And the, the film. At the, I mean, I'm sorry, at, in the book, yeah, okay. in the book, yes, yeah. in the book. Though all the, also one of my favorite moments of the movie, performance wise, or just how arresting it is, is when he in the film, smashes the jars and just, I know it's a very Walken-esque thing to do the impression, but he's like, the ice is going to break. Like, stop. You know, like, and, and when he... <laughs> so, it, when he, the ice is going to break. <laughs> <laughs> That's good.
4: was so, good. I'm glad we he, got that for posterity. Uh, so, he's so sick of my impression. I've just been doing it all day. <laughs>
5: <laughs> but, um, but, I, but going back to the book, because the book v- version is my favorite of it. I just love everything about it. I love he experiences this in a room full of people, uh-huh. not just in the film with the father and the son. He experiences it in a room full of people that begin to freak out because he has not done this in the entirety of his time tutoring Chuck, which has been for years. And so he's not done this. And then he's suddenly experiencing this vision. Chuck's freaking out. His girlfriend's freaking out. Everybody's like, we, we don't know what to do. The The dad, the uh, Roger, in the book, like just really impresses me that he's like, okay. Let's Mm -hmm. drive out there. Let's check things out. And then Roger has, there's a really nice moment in the book. And I apologize that I'm spoiling part of this for you, Andy, but there's a really nice part of it in the book where the whole point is, Hey, if you had a lightning rod on here, (laughs) it would be fine. And the, uh, the, the, uh, the man says, of course we have lightning rods. They came by and they sold them to us and put up the lightning rods. And as they're walking back to the car, it's Roger who looks back and notices, Hmm, there's no lightning rod on that, on that building. Like he registers it. (laughs) And so then later, when he sees the newscast that shows, oh yeah, there did there was a fire that broke out, and of course him th- that all culminates in him paying the medical bills, as I've mentioned a couple times now before. But that's I just find that all so compelling because so many of the visions in the film are viewed as tragedies, and they're even you know everything goes badly about his visions. It is nice. In the book, beyond just the saving of the, uh, the with the fire situation, it is nice that the book has a legitimate like. Oh, wow! This is a really compelling sort of rescue moment, as you will. So that's my pick. Well, and and
4: I, I Um, I think you've identified one of the strongest aspects to the book. I love the character of Roger in the book, and yes, and I in part because how unexpected it was that he's on. Johnny's side, like that feels the the movie version feels like the movie version of anything. Right, Pick something. It's it's the Hollywood version. Just oh, we need another obstacle to throw in our character's path. Let's have him not believe him, and it just doesn't it doesn't ring true for me in the way that the book version did. And also, uh, uh, fear God canon here that feels to me like a very deliberate Ray Bradbury reference with the lightning rod salesman.
5: Oh, um, sure. And something wicked this way comes is referenced, referenced in the book directly.
4: Yeah. But uh so I wanted to just, you know, uh that's right uh, there. But this 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 I guess just laying some scaffolding for where ultimately we might go. But in the book, um let me let me juxtapose these things. I love how you read, I think you identified it as an almost episodic kind of structure, and and that's fine, but I feel like it it betrays a bit of the the intentionality of the f- book's structure, because in the book, it feels like the Bannerman, if ultimately the goal of, th- of choices made as a storyteller is to grow your character, mm-hmm. right? Like to, mm-hmm. to, to enhance their experience, not pure plot. The Bannerman exercise in the book feels like a character development piece for Johnny, because it certifies what he can do in a mm-hmm. real world sense. So that's a big pin in the arc of this character why the Roger and Chuck story is so valuable to the character of Johnny is because it certifies that he can impact what he sees. Those are two very deliberate kind of tent poles that, Mm -hmm. that undergird and support the character of John Smith. And, and I think one, just from a cinematic standpoint, a a room full of kids stressing over a, a radio broadcast about the, the news of the the fire is so strong. Right, but I, I, don't, right. I don't know. I just love Johnny needs a win. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and, and that the character of Roger represents something we're not used to in this kind of genre storytelling, which is a, a, you, you made an interesting point that he doesn't necessarily even believe to the letter, what Johnny's saying, but he's willing to take a chance on him and that matters. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely. and it, yeah. and it
4: becomes fuel for that character. Of John. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I just really wanted to echo the support for Roger, who even even when that actor came on screen and they referenced him as Roger, I was like, oh, that's he's like the visual definition of kind of not what I picture of of the Roger in the book. Anyway, yeah, I'm sorry.
5: No, I understand. No, 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 no. I understand. Um, so maybe one more uh, little sort of more lighthearted question, although it doesn't have to be a lighthearted answer before we get into deeper thematic waters. Um, so uh, would you the question is, would you want Johnny to touch your hand? Because it hasn't been mentioned yet. Let me set it up because it hasn't been mentioned. There's a moment in the in the book and in the film when he's got a press conference because he identified the fire and and everything. And then they've got the press conference there and a reporter bullies his way in. And is like, you know, give me a reading, like do something. He's clearly very skeptical, but then Johnny opens the door of like hit this, this reporter's sister, you know, OD'd and, and, and in the film, she apparently committed suicide. And so there's, there's all these layers of family uh, troubles and trauma that Johnny unpacks and immediately following that, many many people and there's one reporter in in particular when johnny's like i, di- I didn't mean to hurt him and then this one reporter is like yeah, yeah yeah everybody could see that he was asking for it everybody could see he was asking for it don't touch me don't <laughs> like and he's and he's very much like no, no no you stay away from me so my question on the table is would you want johnny to touch you and if not then then why not and if so what would you want to find out or what would you be most afraid to find out? That's the perhaps lighthearted, doesn't have to be lighthearted answer, but, you know, <laughs> so, so would you want, would you want to avoid Johnny and shaking Johnny's hand like the plague or would it, would it freak you out very much if he touched you? So uh, for this one, I'm not going to call on anybody. I'm going to, I'm going to ask for volunteers as tribute. So, so does anybody, okay, I, I, Andy, I, I, go I, ahead.
1: I,
7: <laughs>
6: Andy go.
5: Um,
7: There you go. I, I, I just with everything that I have going on, I wouldn't mind him touching me Mm -hmm. to, um, to help me unearth some of my mental stuff that, that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm dealing with. I think yeah. that mm-hmm. it would help with therapy. Um, if I knew some of the roots of, of some of the stuff, instead of having to explore and, and go through, so to make it deep, um, yeah, right. the lighthearted question, I think <laughs> it would be, <laughs> I think it would be helpful for me if he, you know, saw that vision because apparently, you know, that, that reporter that was something that really messed with him and you right. could tell, you know, his, his, you know, visceral, that's a big word, guys. Um, reaction of pulling away and just having that come up, come up, you know, I, I think it, it would be helpful um for some things. Just, just imagine him, you know, being a therapist and, and just saying, you know, you know caution to the wind but i can um read you and help you find the root of you know some of the things that you're struggling with so
5: yeah nope nope i understand i understand um uh, anybody else gentlemen
7: <laughs> one i really love that
4: response andy that was very mm-hmm. yeah that that vulnerability is very appreciated and, and um i'm torn truthfully i mean i think I guess it kind of depends, you know, the movie for the most part depicts pretty intense stuff that he's yeah. seeing uh, in, in response to the contact he makes, but you know, at the same time at, I was having a conversation recently about just, you know, as we can tend to do on these quarterly Kings getting a little raw, just some desire for some clarity and some, right some, um, I understand the road is made by walking. In my deepest of spirit selves, uh, my more surface, material self sometimes says, well, screw that." I want to see the road, <laughs> you know, and I, I want to know uh, the, the the path before me in a in a more tactile, concrete sense. Um, I, I feel like I'm, I've seen seen and read enough genre material, uh, a la the monkey's paw, to to know. We, we'd be careful what we ask for, but but I also right. can see the value on a real just human comfort level of some measure of clarity, whether it's vocationally or, you know, a family member's well-being, that kind of thing. Um, right, right. Yeah, I, I'm pretty 50-50 on that one, Wacky. I don't,
5: I don't understood, know. understood. Uh, Ian, go ahead.
4: As am, as am I, because
6: there's an unpredictability to what comes to surface.
5: Mm
6: -hmm. Right. So Andy, I I love your answer. I want to echo like what you said. I would love to plumb the unseen depths of my own self. Like what is it that feeds what is going on now that I myself don't even understand. So there's nothing that Johnny could reveal like to the world about me that frightens me anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um the case of that reporter, right? Like it's interesting that it's not just that he comes in contact with a person and now knows what will happen to, sometimes it's what will happen to you, but sometimes it's just that you are the link in a chain and mm-hmm. this is what's going to happen to this person. Right. right or with right. Dr. W like your mother's alive. I, mm-hmm. I, I saw, I saw her escape. Right. So I guess what could unsettle me might be like a, just seeing what did it look like in the home life of my family when I was a little kid, what did it look like Mm -hmm. for that brief glimmer where my parents were married because like the vast majority of my life that has not been the reality It's weirder for me to try to imagine a time when they were. Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm so accustomed to they're not. Yeah. And I know them both. Right? But there's so much I don't know. What transpired it, and I'm not even saying anything overtly dark and yeah, wicked. I just mean yeah. what was that dynamic like? What yeah. what did they think about me? A, a, a human being that they're suddenly responsible for. Right,
5: right Did right, they right.
6: plan on it? Did, I mean, were they excited? Mm-hmm. I would hope for the grace to be able to take whatever is revealed, but yeah, like the thought of that unsettles me.
5: Yeah, no, I understand. I understand. Blake, go ahead.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I'm torn as well. Um, I, it, it's a little bit of a cliche whenever you talk about, um, becoming your parents. Um, mm. and you know, no one wants to, because you know, whenever you're thinking about that cliche, you're thinking about all the worst parts of your parents um but then there's elements of it like you know for instance my dad you know there's there's a there's a world in which i fall on the same trajectory as him with his disease Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. is there a world in which johnny i choose to be touched by johnny and he basically gives me the death sentence right Mm -hmm. it's always Mm -hmm. in the back of my head always yes death sentence yeah Um, it's always in the back of my head, but I, I, I'm usually pretty good at repressing that thought. (laughs) Yeah, I Um, understand. And so in, in one level, you could say that it's, it would be nice to know so I could find acceptance Hmm. and seek contentment in the life that's been given to me. But who knows how that kind of information actually affects the person. Right. Um, And like, Like that, that's my fear is, I think ultimately I could, I could intellectually say like, I'm okay with knowing the result. Mm -hmm. Um, but psychologically speaking, who knows if I'm actually prepared for that. Um, Right. And so like, it's, 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 I mean, it's 50, 50, like everyone, like, like these three or these two have been saying as well, uh, it's a blessing and a curse in a lot of ways. Um, no. Absolutely. Like the, it's it's nice to know how you're going to go out in order to embrace what you've got right mm-hmm. now, um, but the unintended consequences are the scary part.
5: <laughs> right, right. And I think for myself, and maybe this is, maybe this is a blending of what others have said. Maybe this is this, uh you know just sort of a a concluding thesis statement. But I feel like for myself, um you might classify me as torn as well because if it was a matter of knowing the future my answer is no i don't i don't need to know what's coming I, i'm i'm we'll, we'll just enter the future unknown uncharted we will make the road by walking if it is a matter as andy has expressed and as a couple of other have said like if it's a window into clarity for myself knowing myself more understanding myself better i i would embrace that i would i would You know, recognize this might be painful work. This might be difficult work, but I would embrace that if it's a matter of it's it's and this is not intending to be like a a big side subject. But a lot of the subject right now, when people think of in the in the Christian uh, church and people talk about uh, prophecy or the prophetic, I think a lot of people visualize that as kind of the baptized version of fortune t- telling oh so you're going to mm-hmm. prophesy over me you're going to tell me what's coming next year's going to be my year blessing glory all that when actually biblically speaking though there were prophetic utterances that later came to pass and were fulfilled and could be referenced back particularly with the coming of christ um though those things could be pointed to a lot of times prophetic messages were for clarification of the now this is for i'm going to speak and cut through the fog of what you are all you know getting yourselves worked up about cut right to the heart of the matter and speak prophetically into it to say no this is who you are and this and, is what is happening right now um and yeah and so if yeah I, if I can jump
4: in there to your point though i mean we have the benefit of saying the coming of christ was prophesied in the person of jesus but we're what we're all dancing around here is all of this is interpretive too and and there were plenty of people in his present moment who were like whatever no he's not
5: <laughs> right Right, you know, right,
4: um, yeah, precisely. Yeah, which I just think is what is what is at the heart of the concern <laughs> with with a character like a Johnny. You know, we yes, of course. we 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 crave that knowledge and fear it's it's revealing as well.
5: No, absolutely. Um, so this next piece, I had a question that that uh, fundamentally this will I'm going to put it on the table, but this is the portion you know a little over you know, an hour 15 into our conversation. This is the portion of the discussion where we're going to intentionally dive into some deeper waters. Uh, this is a thematically very interesting and very complex book. My que- So with the utterance of my question, my formal round table is concluded. And this will instead, you can respond to the question or use the question to pivot other considerations of theme that might have danced up as you watched the film or as you read the book. So, the question is there's, there's a couple of primary ethical dilemmas that are raised by the premise of the dead zone. And the first ethical dilemma is, you know, should you intervene when you have foreknowledge? Should you speak a thing that you know is going to happen to influence the outcome of it? And fiction has danced with this question for centuries. But should you intervene if you have foreknowledge? The secondary question to that is, should you intervene if intervention means doing something that would otherwise be deemed unethical, immoral, wrong? Um, where where does that flavor the intervention as such? Because for listeners who have no idea what the dead zone is about or anything, Johnny sees these visions. We have keep referencing Greg Stilson. Greg Stilson is an up-and-coming politician who, when Johnny touches his hand, he sees a revelation that Greg Stilson will be president one day, and when he becomes president... He will start the ultimate nuclear war, and it will devastate all all of creation. Um, and so Johnny sees his only imperative, knowing this, to attempt to assassinate Greg Stilson, which understandably is a very ethically complex consideration. Um, and so, so that's you know, again, I, I I emphasize this heartily. You could you respond to that directly, or if there was an alternate thematic consideration that you thought was worth unpacking, feel free to do that um, as well. Uh, and this is also the moment where I've, I, I would I would feel a bit remiss, like calling on somebody. So if anybody has anything burning that they'd like to kind of unpack, then please, by all means, just sort of uh, chime in, jump in. Everybody's looking at each other. Andy? Andy's I go. on it. Um, go ahead.
7: Man, I, I thought about this when... Um, in the movie, uh, the scene in the movie, you know, where he's talking to Dr. W and, um, you think about where we are right now. Um, I can, I can barely remember the community that we were in when nine 11 happened. Um, mm-hmm. I remember where I was and what I was doing, but I was in ninth grade and I, I didn't see the bigger picture of America coming together um in america you know um i've read about it i think i remember certain things but where we are currently you know would i change the tides of who is in power right now with with the state of things with with people you know coming out and realizing that their their voice matters um and standing in in polls for hours you know and 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 doing that are people realizing that um you know minimum wage isn't covering it are there are complete racial injustices going on that didn't become apparent to us until this year um it, it, to some of us it had but it didn't become a news story until this year um i don't know if i would i would change that um i mean i wish it would be sooner um i wish we could we could solve all the hurt before it happened but through the hurt i feel fi- there's the healing that's occurring there's the the healing of 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 realizing you know that people have a voice that um people of color have a voice that um lgbtq um Mm -hmm. people have a voice i mean even recently when we're recording this the pope comes out and blesses civil unions you know Mm -hmm. between same-sex couples and that's huge that's that's huge whether what side of the fence that you you side on i'm, I'm not i'm not right, going right, to get right, into right. that but but that these issues are finally coming out and i mean would i go back and change you know just using the pope for example would i go out and change his you know view on that i don't think so um i think it's a much needed would i go and change who's in power <sighs> yeah i i would but there's so, it's such a hard time and COVID is so hard. And I don't want to take away from the, the deaths that are occurring and the hurt that is occurring to America and the families that are affected by it. And, and please don't hear me saying that. Please don't hear me saying that mm-hmm. it's not, not, um, a bad situation. But I've, I've spent more time with my family. I've, um, i've spent more time in books going through you know systematic racism than i ever would have i've i've studied more theology you know i've 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 slowed down i've had the time you know i i've had my you know manic episode and and spent some time in the hospital but i i was i I was able to slow down um just being a little bit more vulnerable um Yeah. is is you know I was I was I was in the um psych ward for you know 6 days and nobody could visit me you know mm-hmm. and because of covid mm-hmm. and I had time to just be with my thoughts and to just to just calm down And I don't think I would have had that time, um, if this wasn't going on. And so I don't know. I, I, I don't wish this on anybody, the COVID or to people to get it or anything, but it's a time where I think people are getting a lot of clarity or some people are, you know, I I would say, say 70% of people around us are, are getting a lot of clarity of what really matters. Um, and I think that's so important. And I don't know if I would, I would change that. Well,
5: can I, can I so, yeah. Mm. Yeah, can I am sorry, something's kind of burning. Uh, I apologize, Nathan. Uh, um so first of all is, uh, is, uh, <laughs> So, um, out. And, Andy, first of all, um thank you again for yes. your you continued yeah. honesty and vulnerability. We we cherish it. So, so uh, a a a parable that Jesus told that has come up on the show before and that that has become as many of the parables have become of significant resonance to me for its implications is um, a, a parable uh, of the wheat and the weeds, or as they're called in the scriptures of the, the tares, T-A-R-E-S. And the parable goes as such that the farmer sowed good seed and in the middle of the night, an enemy came out and sowed bad seed on top of the good one. And so then when the, the, uh growth began to break ground and they realized like, oh, man, there are all of these weeds interspersed or tears interspersed throughout these this wheat. And they ask the the landowner, they say, should we pull up these weeds? And his response back to them says, no, because if you do that, you will damage the wheat. So do not pull up the weeds, because if you do, you'll damage the wheat. He said, rather, wait until harvest time. And when harvest time comes, we will separate. The wheat from the from the weeds will separate the good from the bad and so in the in the process as i take it and what i reflect on when i hear what you talk about andy is we we are in a season right now and this is it, i i cannot remember where but this is an expression that i have made on the show before we are in a time right now where if you layer on what i take away from that parable of the wheat and the weeds we are in a time where the good is going to get better and the bad is going <clears throat> to get worse. They are they are both going to grow together. That means the bad is going to be the worst we've ever seen it. And the good, don't forget, may be some of the best we've ever seen it, some of the most inspiring, some of the most Bring important, it. some of the most vital. And while the bad is getting worse, there can be a tendency to be like, pluck up the bad, ruin it, But but we don't realize that if we do it in a way that is too disruptive or too dismissive or too reductive, then we will damage the good that is progressing alongside with it. And we must be discerning and conscious of making sure that we are right minded in the way we respond to the bad seeds that have been thrust upon so many good things. So not only am I, you know, championing and, and, and thanking and praising you for your vulnerability, but also echoing to a large degree and affirming that's very much where my heart sort of centers around, God, if I could please get rid of the bad, please, I don't want to think about the bad anymore. But knowing and recognizing that upending the bad is going to do damage, perhaps irreparably, to the good things that are progressing and the things that are coming to light. And you, you mentioned so many movements that are on the forefront of people finding their voice. God, we, we can't stymie that. We can't stop that and and we have to allow this time to continue to let to let and maybe that's the that's the hardest part about it cuz the book comes to a different conclusion johnny comes to a different conclusion but um maybe in order to let the good get better we have to have a degree of accepting the bad as it gets worse and i'm not saying we don't try to influence in appropriate manner For God's sake, this is airing on election day. Make your voice heard. Make your voice known. Do what is within your power to affect and influence things. But along the way, recognize that that uh, it, it does us very little good to look back with profound uh, uh, regret and spite and say, like, oh, yeah, I wish all that bad had just been plucked up because so much good would have been lost in its wake. That's my that's my soapbox kind of stepped on and stepped right off quickly. I want to allow the other three. Well, to I end. want us all to be on
4: these soapboxes because uh, – give me some room, boys. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, 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 Andrew, I want to just – with full heart affirm and encourage and, and, and welcome and express gratitude to all that you've shared there, because something I've thought about lately um, is, you know, this time and, and read. thank you for that scriptural imagery. Like in this season, I want to fortify me, right? I want to fortify me. I want to make, understand the nuance with which I said, I want to make me stronger so that my, grace and compassion will overflow into the areas that it needs and something that i actually the reason i am neutral to kind of negative on the movie versus the book is the book sung out to me in a very particular way as an exercise in catharsis it is a to me it was almost king using this meta narrative of 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 I mean, goodness gracious, the man's name is John Smith. It's the most literally most generic name in the American male book of baby names. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, it says something to me that it's a blank slate. You're you're, you're meant to almost sort of see how you feel about this wretched person and and, common and meditate on how you would react. You know, and so to me, it's this meta sort of example of catharsis writ large, which is you know, when I see crooked and 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 lying and and corrupt politicians exercising their power in simply the vain pursuit of more power, I want to feel, you know, you know, this this gives me my release. Right. Now they're they're healthy forms of of, of fortifying oneself, but the the act of comprehending and thinking about the dead zone is so that I'm like, okay, okay, thank you, Uncle Stevie. Got that feeling out of the way and move on into richer, better. Um, But, you know, I think about like, this is kind of new for me, thinking about the fear of God and what we do here in this way. And I'm going to loosely use a sports metaphor here, which is a really bad choice a lot of the times. But I think about what we do here on a given episode is almost like being in the locker room. And we're trying to psych ourselves up, being able to name amongst each other this is the thing you're up against. Mm. We're exercising in this room. We're getting, we're practicing. We're, we're learning. Okay. These are the feelings that are going to come at you. These are the things that are going to try to scare you. These are the things that are going to try to frighten you. These are the things that are going to try to convince you that you are going to lose things that you love. Okay. And we learn and we, we talk to each other and we preach at each other and we prophesy to each other and we uplift and encourage each other in here, so that we know how to deal with those things out there. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, the dead zone is such a pitch perfect example of that. And, I, I think about, and I would not have been able to do this if not for our work on the fear of God. Recently, I encountered a, a peer online. These are not great spaces to try to fortify oneself or others. I can own that. But it's someone I've known for a long time. We have a history of some engagement like this. They posted this meme of a, of a prominent candidate and uh, the attachment they had to it, their editorial, not the meme itself, their personal editorial uh, was... Uh, all Christians should be afraid of X, of this mm-hmm. thing happening. And I called him out and I mm-hmm. said, This is unchristlike and you should take it down. And some peer in his group, right, which I knew was going to happen, jumped on me. And yes, this is the space, this is a safe space where I can toot my own horn a little bit. But the guy was like, Well, you don't know Jesus and the spirit and the such and such and such and such. And I said, I know what the Spirit does, and I know who Jesus is. And Jesus spends much of His time telling us not to be afraid. And thus, if you yes. are trying to tell people to be afraid of a thing, Come specifically on. Christians, yep. you are being unChrist-like and should not do that. Yes, but I wouldn't have the for the the self knowledge, the, the 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 knowledge of Christ in me, the knowledge of the Christ image that is meant to dispel fear in the world. If not for the work we do here and the ability to recognize. I know I'm not supposed to be a John Smith, but my human self sometimes craves this this diffusion of that energy, and so mm-hmm. I read the Dead Zone or I watch the Dead Zone. Like, okay, right, 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 right. It's our version of yoga. <laughs> is watching like the Dead Zone so that I can go out in the world at peace and in in calm spirit, but also naming those things that are actively trying to engender fear in the name of some screwed up skewed false fake moralism which is anything but god Mm.
5: (sighs) no no amen amen ian blake you've probably been sitting there simmering the pot like ready to boil the ice
1: <laughs> <laughs> the ice
3: is gonna break <laughs>
4: <laughs> the ice has broken Nathan is broken and on fire <laughs> oh.
6: my mind is um kind of orbiting two points and, and you have a double halved question and you've already invoked the the wheat and the tares, which I think is such an important amazing. Well, and and it, it it is, and one aspect of it that I find fascinating is that the master in the parable knows that the servants cannot tell the difference between the wheat mm. and the mm-hmm. weeds. So mm-hmm. that wow, they're they're like, why don't we go pull up the weeds? And he's saying, look, if you do, you're going to pull up the whole field. No, there won't be anything yeah. left because you at this stage. You can't even tell the difference between the two. You're not competent
5: oh, for that. That's so good. So yeah. we're going to let it all come out.
6: We're going to let it all come out and then we'll know.
3: <laughs>
6: and that's, so that's frightening mm-hmm. uh, because my misgiving that I have right now, I could be wrong and I have to wait to see like, this is a terrible thing. Yes. right. Also right. the coexistence of the two. And, and that, was, that was the point that you were stressing that there is some sense where I don't even have this good apart from this bad that is sprouting up at the exact same time. Right. And I guess one thing I want to say into that is one of the things that I love about, let's just say the dead zone, whether it's the novel or, or the movie, is learning to live with what is. And it ain't ideal. And yeah. and the ideal ain't even on the table might be in your mind, but you're not living in it and you don't have the option of choosing it. All there is, is living in light of what is in fact the case or living in denial. And, right. and I think that that was something I loved how Andy put it. My experience in Minneapolis was exacerbated because the, The school of which I was a part, the theology there, baptized whatever was, everything that is, is good. Mm. However Mm. painful it is, however terrible it is, God stands directly behind all of these things as its Mm. true cause. Mm. Never mind that that means that God is a terrible, abusive father then, right? Right. Yes, yes, a despot. Mm Mm-hmm. Who will who will beat you into recognizing how good you've got it? You know, um, hug that cactus again.
5: <laughs> I was just doing. It. I was going to say it. You beat me to it. I was going to say hug the hug the cactus.
6: You got to let go of the cactus. <laughs> <laughs> You're
4: hurting yourself. Fire the blanks,
6: David. <laughs> so what I struggled with for a while was in recognizing wheat and tears in that yeah right and this this was a major conversational point with my wife during our our time just now this past weekend in in Minneapolis where we are now individually and together does not obtain it isn't real it wasn't possible without just abject terror dread wanting to die mm mm-hmm. mm and It doesn't make those good things. Those mm-hmm. are awful things mm-hmm. to undergo. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and God doesn't give me a dose of that. Like, Hey, here is crippling depression and isolation. And, uh, it's cause I, I love you so much. So mm-hmm. here, you, here you go. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what happened. And God does not not love me for having allowed that to transpire but the way he stands behind that is not the way that I was being told that he does mm-hmm. what he's in the bit. And, and I've said this before, I'm not trying to just repeat myself, but his, his business card says that he is in the business of bringing good out of
4: evil. Mm-hmm. Can, can I, you may Okay. Do it. Because, because what you're calling to mind is, you know, the, 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 philosophy you're you're laying out there is saying hey the tears are good too yes which right. is which is utter hell spawn falsehood right yes because Absolutely. instead and Reed, we've come up with this before i hate repeating myself i love repeating myself um <laughs> but i don't love a bumper sticker here but it's not that these things are good they're not they're abject garbage but we include them and forgive them and this is how we operate in the world it is there and it is a thing If you pull it out you pull out everything so we don't pull it out we let it be because it's it needs to not run its course that's too um it does because it doesn't run its course terrible doesn't
6: terrible produces terrible so it doesn't Mm. run its course and then turn into good what god does is make good sprout out of the grave of this thing Mm. so bad Mm. things die and that's it what they produce is more death misery ruin distortion degradation Right. Okay, they don't produce good anything.
5: right? No, what absolutely. God
6: does yeah. is subvert all of that and say, here's what's going to happen. And that is why, so overall, um, we, we don't have to feel guilty about owning good things that have come about during COVID time. Mm-hmm. COVID is terrible.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: Over 210,000 dead Americans is, is terrible. There's no changing that. It's not a blessing in disguise. No. But Andrew isn't no. lying when he describes good that has sprung up out of that same soil with right. these <clears throat> abjectly terrible things. <clears throat> and I feel like, you know, we we've invoked the word prophecy. And as as you beautifully put it, yes, there's there can be a predictive element, but mm-hmm. it's often a forth telling like this is what's going on you can't make it out right but this is what is the case Mm -hmm. and what happens in the dead zone is that johnny if we just want to use the parallel of prophecy i would just say that besides prediction prophecy helps us to see the jagged parts fit into one frame yeah (sighs) Because on the plane itself, my perspective is too fall. I see nothing but the splintering, nothing but the brokenness, nothing but the hurtful, jagged edges. They're hurting me every moment. But prophecy can discern these fit together. Things are in their place. They may not all be in their right place, Mm -hmm. but there is a cohesion to this thing. Yeah. And there is an end to it in both senses. There's an end because the bad will have an end. There will be an end yeah. to the bad, mm-hmm. to, to the bad, but also end as in the telos. What is the outcome? And it ain't the natural outcome. And that's what I was trying to stress. Bad doesn't produce good. Bad produces bad. Right. But why is the bad allowed to continue? Because it's going to manure the soil of the creation and good will blossom out of that supernaturally. Not yeah. because of anything the bad wants to make happen. Not because right. of the inner um DNA dynamics of what bad is. Right. And that's why I love that Johnny Smith ultimately can say, I need to stop running. I need to stop hiding. That's actually what I've been doing this entire time.
3: Mm.
6: What I had identified as a curse. It is a gift. Yeah. And again, I, I just rewatched this coming back from Minneapolis, a place that I at one time had hoped I would never set foot in again. Hmm and i am not apples wasn't good it was bad it was very yeah. bad yes i can't imagine the good that i have now apart from it
5: Com- coming out of that right is
6: it is it a curse i felt like it but i don't think the gift is possible without it
5: yeah so so okay I need so to let Blake that. speak because because well, Blake's Blake's been Blake's been kind and patient, but um, I, I've expressed this on the show before too. Listeners are going to get sick of hearing me repeat things that I that. It's I've election said day, we're repeating our messages and- <laughs> to bring you home to bring you yes. to your decision point. So. So um I've expressed on the show before a frustration that I have when people talk about like well I had to go through that bad thing or I had to do that bad thing because you know god knew that was the only way to get me from you know a from a to b and then all the way up to z and that that kind of theological understanding really frustrates me a lot because exactly what you were talking about um, Ian is this like, well, then, then you're talking about God as if he's a sadist who just sort of births these, these wicked things to come and, and wreak havoc into your life so that then all of these other things can happen. That's not the case. My theological framework that I've adopted is we keep talking about prevention of preventing bad things from happen when I believe in a God of redemption. And I believe in a God of restoration, and I believe that God is so good at redeeming and restoring, and I believe that he is so profoundly good at making all things new that he will put such a thing in such a way that when you look back on it, you will see no other path possible. It wasn't that God meant for those things to happen. He's just that good at spinning things around and at restoring and at redeeming and at bringing things up. He's just, he's just that good. And he's so good in point of fact that you will not see any other way in which it could have been. And that is what and even and and that is what I think of when Christ himself is even asking the question in the garden where he's like, Mm -hmm. is there any other way possible? You know, that's that's what we wrestle with. Right. Is that is this it? Is this the only way? And he doesn't he doesn't get an answer to the question. He -hmm. just continues to progress forward towards the cross. And it is in that ultimate act, and there's so many different things that could be unpacked in in that conversation. But in that ultimate act, he doesn't get an answer to the question of, is there any other way? He simply faithfully marches towards the cross, and then, of course, to the tomb, and then, of course, to resurrection day. Because I deeply believe that whatever it is that has has come before, whatever it is that has devastated us— that does not one iota change the redemptive power and the redemptive potential that God and Christ have to speak new, fresh life, restorative life into where you are right now. Rearrange the DNA of whatever situation it is and and restore from from this point forward Um, and and perhaps in such a way that we would foolishly look back and say, well, surely I had to go through all of that nonsense when in point of fact, no, it you probably didn't but God is just that good. Blake, I'm sorry. I'm going to let you talk. You've been really, really patient. I love it. You love uh,
4: this...
2: You can censor what I'm about to say. Uh, uh, Uh-oh.
4: Sh- <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how, how how do I follow up any of that?
3: Take <laughs>
6: <laughs> Yeah,
2: No
3: <laughs> pressure. Yeah, yeah.
2: So the the one thing that was coming to mind as y'all were talking um man some beautiful points across the board um thank y'all um the one thing that i remember is is as i watched and read the dead zone there's one image in my head that came to mind and that's that's bonhoeffer um bonhoeffer who himself was involved in exactly the thing that is that kind of right. at the core of this novel in yep. this movie. Um, and just like Johnny Smith, he fails. Mm. He, and yet it wasn't dependent on him to actually complete the task. Like he was faithful. Um, he did what he felt was right, whether it was right or wrong. Um, he understood grace. He understood that his choices would be made and he would know in time if they were, Weed or tears, but he made a choice, and it was ultimately a failure. Um, just like Johnny, he didn't actually accomplish what he set out to do. Um, and in my head, like that's that's living the faithful life is recognizing that it's not on you to change the world, to save the world, mm. uh, but to influence where you can influence. Because um, I, I mean, you think about. Christopher Walken, Johnny Smith, um, the, the embattled nature of what he's going through in that decision. Um, mm. It's not an easy decision. It's not a decision any of us want to be in the midst of. Um,
4: and, and as an yeah. insertion there to not to derail, but to yeah. reinforce that in the book, it's very explicit about what this is doing to him physically. Yes, and exactly. Really
3: powerful.
2: Yeah. There, there's a suffering involved. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's, it's taking a toll. It's taking a cost. And, and I think, that is a weirdly turning a lot of what we've said on its head and saying that suffering like these, these tears are not good, but there is a faithful suffering that brings fruit that, 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 that rises from the grave. Um, Mm, yeah. And so (laughs) that's, that's so tough to like, to, to parse out because you're, you're walking a thin line in in saying that so well um,
6: yeah yeah go ahead well and that's what i you know you're you're asking reed like you know is it right to take a preventative measure that is ostensibly immoral Mm. and like christian ethics doesn't admit of an answer Mm -hmm. that just like fits like yes it is right it like and that is why wisdom is frustrating Mm. Because sometimes, yeah, and sometimes no. Mm-hmm. And we want to just be like, can you just give me a yes or no? <laughs> it's right? the law. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But you have to like take a lot of time to get wise because you're not automatically wise.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: I'm a dummy. And, and, and God <laughs> is so good that I can only look back and see that it had to be this way. And in a Flannery O'Connor sense, like, I need grace to knock me upside this stubborn, thick dome. Right. Yeah. Because wisdom is not my strong suit. Or, like, I love y'all, but, like, it doesn't <laughs> wow. It doesn't come naturally. It's not your inheritance. Sure. It's not yours. You only accumulate it by clawing your way through intensely difficult things that do not always have clear-cut answers. Yeah. And mm-hmm. only on that basis, then, can you tell Bonhoeffer, like, I don't know what else there is to do. Yeah. Right. Or, or, um, it's gotta work. (laughs) work. (laughs) The the, the Jewish midwives, like, well, no, I know we're not supposed to lie, but I mean, they're going to kill our babies, (laughs) you know, like, um, whatever scenario you want to think of, we're bending the normal rules that you would say, like, these are right. And you train your kids, like, don't lie, don't lie. But you have to be prepared in these scenarios to say, okay, but now you have to, I mean, I, and, I, 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 yeah. and,
2: and I don't know if y'all know this, but sometimes there's not a right answer.
5: <laughs> right.
2: There's just not like a right, right. answer. We, I, we keep
5: seeking. That. No, you go ahead, Ian.
6: I was just going to say, like, I think that the best approach to take is an Augustinian one where it's like, look, man. Okay. Like I was saying earlier about learning to live with what is like, look, ideal ain't on the table. So if you ask me, what is Augustinian thought as a whole, like what springs from Augustine on that has shaped our theological inheritance? Uh, it's it's asking it, it's rather recognizing that the question that needs to be asked sometimes is what's the least bad thing that I can do? Because sometimes mm. what, what, what we go to is like, oh, what's what's the best thing I can do? Like, hey, man, you're not even capable of that. Mm. So what's the least bad thing you can do? <laughs> What's right. the least damaging and stupid thing that you're capable of right now? <laughs> mm. That's
5: yeah. a sucky
4: question. Well, <laughs> yeah. so, so
5: we keep seeking, we keep seeking at at minimal a binary, good bad, yes no, mm-hmm. right wrong. And and most often we want to dig our heels in on a singularity. This is this is the thing. This is the one singular truth. D- to 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 rattle around something else that's been dancing in my imagination recently is when the disciples saw the blind man outside of the city and they said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind, which is a really stupid question to ask if he sinned, (laughs) that he was born blind. That's a really dumb question. But but, that's... But what they were asking, what they were after is, what's a root cause? What's a root cause analysis of all this bad that's going on in the world? What's all, what's all this travesty? What can, what can we point our finger at and say it's your fault? It's your fault. It's this. It's this problem. It's that thing. And you know what we need? We need a little bit more of this or we need a little bit more of that. And what Christ speaks into that is he says, your question ultimately, and I'm, of course, paraphrasing scripture, which is is treacherous territory, but what Christ speaks into that is he says, your question is misguided and irrelevant. This w- Neither this man nor his parents sinned. This happens so that the glory of the Lord could be shown in him. And does that mean that God calls the blindness? No, theological turds, stop that. Okay? That's not what he's saying. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. Wow. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't mean it. that God causes all this thing. It just means like, what, like everything that we've Brothers been saying, there's a, there's a lot of bad Right now. There's a lot of awful going on, and some of it may may bend you to the point of breaking, and some of it may devastate you to the point of utter destruction. There's a lot of bad going on right now, but in the midst of all of that, you can spend a lot of your time looking backwards and wondering why in the hell this happened to begin with, or you can l- turn your face forward towards the God who still has the power to redeem, still has the power to rescue, still has the power to restore, still has the power to save, and still has the power for some mysterious way or through some mysterious means to bring bring goodness and faithfulness out of that, despite how long this man has been born blind, or so, despite how long this thing mm-hmm. has been traversing. We keep rattling ourselves around stupid questions, trying to figure out how to prevent root causes, instead of recognizing the kingdom is at hand. It's here. It, the word became flesh, and it put its dwelling among us. We do not, we are not about the business of the embodiment of it. We're trying to analyze it, to pieces we're trying to figure it out we're trying to get all of those spider web concoctions together which is why we didn't bring it up Andy, you mentioned it earlier is why the the mother is so conspiracy theory laden she's like oh i'm gonna put my i'm gonna give money to this you know faith healer and and buy this cloth and put it under johnny's bed and i'm gonna do you know all of these other things that i'm gonna do I'm going to i'm gonna find the root cause of this and i'm gonna find the solution when in point of fact, all of us wrestle around and try to do that, you can see it in the myriad of conspiracy theories that bounce up in the church world, in the political world, in the social world, all this other stuff. You can see it just reproducing like rabbits all over the place. When in point of fact, the the from my mind, the the prophetic path, the Christian path, the faithful path is to say, you know what, all of this, all of this is largely irrelevant in the face of of a God who, when he shines his light upon it, all of them are burned away, and all of them are washed away, and everything is include and forgive, and here he stands before you saying, oh, where are your accusers? You know, I'm just throwing all of the scriptural metaphors, in there, but, you know, he says, where, where are your accusers to the woman caught in adultery who, you know, technically speaking might've been right in their accusation of her needing to be stoned. But he's like, where are your accusers? And she says, you know, I, I can't find them anywhere. Well, neither do I condemn you go and send no more. That's, that's the faithfulness. Not this whole like, hey, uh, you know, uncover all of this deep root, uncover all of these, you know, these these myriad of conspiracy theories who send this man or his or his parents that he was born blind. That's irrelevant. That is. Pull largely, up the weeds. Yeah. And pull up the weeds. That is largely and wholly irrelevant. What is relevant is, OK, am I am I turning my my heart and my mind towards faithfulness Am I bending my spirit towards this is what is right and good. So therefore this is the path I will walk, even if that path leads me to the cross and to the tomb, because beyond that there is something more. And, and that is sorry to have gotten so passionate on all of y'all, but that is no apologies that, necessary. What you do, that is, is it's, election, <laughs> it's election. It's a big day. <laughs> and that is, and, and to, it's not absent because I've heard it among, dreadfully few, but I've heard it among some of my friends. I've heard it from all four of you, and I've heard it from a couple of other of my church friends. But I will say, by and large, it is dreadfully absent from primary Christian voices in speaking into these times today. It is uh, dreadfully absent and missing. This prophetic hope that says, yeah, 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 seek all your answers. Chase the wind and tell me when you've caught it. But meanwhile... We will continue to make the road by walking and continue to, st- to tread faithfully upon the path that has been set before us until such time as our time is concluded or the fullness of time is concluded. I think I'm spent. I think I'm done. My bookcase <laughs> is my- Lord made- of the Lord. Thank you to <laughs> God. <laughs> um, so, so, okay. I, I would be remiss if, uh, if I didn't say it. If anybody has anything- you know, your your bones burning within you to say, then I invite you to do so. Otherwise we can pivot to the fog meter and wind things down. But I don't want to cut off anybody if you got something rattling in there you're like, I cannot leave this conversation without saying this. Hmm? Y'all ready to go to the fog meter? Give
6: me a second. Fog meter.
5: <laughs> Andy's like, all right. We will give you your time, Andy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just
7: I think I'm echoing what you guys are saying. Um, mm-hmm. I think I am, but yeah. I just, I just, after meeting the people that I've met through my time at college as a, as an older student and as a, and meeting the, the or being friends with the younger students who you know i went to cambodia with i was the oldest besides the teacher and um you know seeing them rise up and um you know fight like they're they're they'll fight for veganism they'll fight for you know and um you know (laughs) nathan's face um i i just i would just be if i didn't say it is it's just what if what if we can't find the cause? You know, like what if we what if why are we looking for a cause when we can just make the change? You know, maybe maybe that's that's you know me thinking that's me thinking out loud, that's me, you know, saying it, it, it you know, like for example, my I love my wife, um, she's great. Um I don't know why I said that, but um <laughs> but she she has a lot of anxiety because she sees she sees the the sickest children that you can see because she works in the pick and so she brings that home and i see that and i see that with with milo when he she thinks he should be on a timetable of being he should be standing and walking now what is the cause of him not and he's 14 months, you know, it's, it takes some time. Some of you are parents or soon to be parents, um, but there could be no cause that he's not walking now beyond. He just, it's just not time, you know? And so mm-hmm. I, I just, I just think it's just, I, I just have to say is, is like, we look so much for the cause instead of just going out and, And just going forth you know and and what reed was Mm -hmm. talking about with the redemption and with the saving grace of god is you know and with the blind man you know what is the cause of him being blind who who gives a crap you know (laughs) let's uh, let's Mm -hmm. let's let him see
6: that's the yeah. New Living Translation. Yeah. Who gives a crap?
5: Yeah. <laughs> that's E.G. Peterson, I think. Yeah, I um, Golly, well, though, like well, the, way you just, the way you just phrased that was so great. Let's let him see. Go ahead, Nathan. That's all I wanted to say. Well, no,
4: all I was going to say is that that's kind of uh, 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 maybe a bow on what Andy's saying, but echoing where I was feeling after read finished of like, we, I think a lot, read about our The Mist conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm and it it can't be it's not lost on me that you know the the title of this book the the space that it invokes the dead zone like now in the text it's a it's a un unphysical spaced idea more more than anything but but you know we 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 walk through our own dead zone in in a kind of literal sense sometimes and and you know and the the other kingism there we walk through the mist like we to ask the question what is the cause yes does have a bit of fruitlessness to it Mm, mm, and mm. i think you know there's 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 medical what is the cause and then there's spiritual what is the cause medical what is the cause is yeah sometimes we need to diagnose the thing to figure out how to treat it but spiritual what is the cause is often forgive the redundancy a lost cause because that's not the point that's not the question at hand
5: Right, the question at hand is how are you gonna live in the midst yeah of course
4: and you're either gonna be enmeshed with the tares or you're gonna fortify yourself as wheat
3: mm-hmm.
4: and and i i don't know i don't know that's that's it's in many ways though for those craving certainty in life uh, uh, a disappointing answer it's in many ways to me the most faithful one which is I love this notion of, and and why I reject the reductive nature of simply, well, you know, you can't have protesters breaking the law. I'm like, what a stupid, stupid, stupid reductive thought to have because of, you know, kind of some of the the verbiage you were using in of just like law, law, we don't operate in that, in that realm, you know, Right. our goal is to bring life, uh, systemically where possible individually and, and corporately most times um but more often than not that's still going to be walking through a fog and walking through a dead zone to try to bring life with you
5: anyway i won't no, force no. a button
2: driving, no, no, no. kicking and screaming sometimes
5: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, No. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, I think we'll I think we'll wind it down there. Uh, we're going to go to the fog meter. And um, as we are prone to do on the Quarterly Kings, we might do this a slightly different. I'm going to ask and uh, Andy, you can uh, excuse yourself from part of this question if you want to, or you can answer part of the question. I'm going to ask when you give your fog meter that you give uh, for the fog meter is our very specific metric of fear and God on all the material that we cover. It's scares and it's substance. Uh, I'm going to invite each of you as I call on you to give a fear measurement and a God measurement to both the film. And the book, respectively. That's why I say, Andrew, if you want to excuse yourself from the book, you can, or if you want to reflect on what you've read so far and have that be your answer, that's, that's also acceptable as well. So, um, let's start with, uh, let's start with fear. Let's start with the fear measurement. Again, give me a measurement for the, um, the book and, uh, for the film out of 10. So I'm going to start with the, uh, fear measurement on the book level. Um, I think the book does a much, a uh, better job of sort of connecting the threads, as we've already said, and of creating this really sort of existential push and pull that you have against profound evil and how we should respond to it. That having been said, it's not terribly nightmarish. Um, I'm going to give the book a 6 on the fog meter out of 10. Uh, I'm going to give the film a 5 out of 10. Uh, I'm going to go next to Andy. Um, I'm going to give the
7: book... Five. Um I haven't read all of it, but it it's just um echoing our conversation, it's it's what I expect. Um mm-hmm. and I'm gonna give the movie a four. Um okay. just because I just um man, I the book is better.
5: Yeah, yeah. No, I understand. Okay. <laughs> Ian. Ian, you're up.
7: I'm gonna give the book a,
5: a four
6: for fear. Mm-hmm. Um, just not a lot of scares. I mean, stuff that gets under your skin, stuff that makes yeah. you sweat as you think. What would I do? Sure, but um, and and by having more of, you know, Johnny in his coma state, um, drifting about, um, there's just more there. And so I give movie three.
5: Okay. All right. Um, Nathan, you're up um
4: it may be overly generous uh i think for the sake of the book because i do like that it's wrestling with the existential notion exemplified when more organically than it does in the movie the question circles the atmosphere and the text of the book of if you could kill hitler what would you do like that that's such a that question has been asked since that happened and Mm. and and, and the book makes an argument on its own for kind of wrestling through that so from an existential standpoint I think it's strong uh, but still yeah very um, sparse on truly scary aspects to it so I'll, I'll give the uh, uh, book a generous five uh, the movie uh, a tepid three
5: okay and Blake round us home on the fear meter
2: so I'm gonna be the weirdo of course Cause it's, that's what I do. It's the trash panda, the fire starter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so if, if I think about the book and in the way, you, what that's been mentioned so far is that you, you see from the very beginning to these two, be, these two characters, Stilson and, and Smith converging, you see it from the very beginning, yep. you know, at some point, this is going to, this is going to collide.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah. on that
2: level, like, Actually, I think that actually kills a lot of the fear for me. Whereas the film doesn't give you that mm-hmm. really until the you know what the second half of the movie. Sure, oh, yeah. so this is the big. This is mm-hmm. actually who we're, we're concerned about. Mm-hmm. So on some level, I'm, I'm going to actually say that that the book is going to be a solid five. Okay. Existential dread, purely. 'Cause there's really not a whole lot of nightmarish imagery um, yeah. outside of, you know, visions and whatnot. But the existential judge for me of the movie is gonna be about a six. Um I think it's okay. it's actually more terrifying for me. So <laughs>
5: Yeah, I gotcha. Well um uh we'll go we'll go backwards then. So so Blake, what would you give for um uh, God? Again on, for both film both, and movie. Uh,
2: yeah. ten and ten.
5: Oh, 10 and 10. Nice. Um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah. Nathan, what would you give it for the God Meter, book and film?
4: Um, I'm going to give the book a, an eight and a half. Um, I think I just really fell in love with what it felt like the book was after and really got on that 1.5 speed wavelength. Um, I, I had a very strong, like, disheartenment. Attached to the watching of the film Having okay, read the yeah. book so so recently I feel like The movie abandons A lot of the thematic heft In favor of box checking And so from that standpoint I'm going to give it a tepid four
5: <laughs> Alright
4: um, <laughs> Which is quite a downgrade I will say, I forgot to mention this earlier Actually, despite his chicken walk I love walking I like him in this film
5: Yeah, yeah um, Ian, walk. the god made like it big old chicken <laughs> <laughs>
4: David, do you really want me to walk like this
6: <laughs> he's staring at me like challenging me like say what you're going to say
5: <laughs> so what would you give uh, for the god meter
6: uh, i'm going to give book and film both eight
5: eight okay all right fair understood andy what Sometimes. would you give to the book and the film on the god meter it's substance book
7: nine nice <laughs> So far, <laughs> <laughs> so, like might be a solid um, 10 when I get through that. Might last be a third. solid 10. Um,
5: <laughs> yeah, um, movie three. All right, gotcha. Um, for myself, I'll start with the movie. Um, I think the movie, as we've already mentioned, does not draw the thematic threads as coherently as it could and should. Uh, on the God Meter, just looking at the movie, I mean, it kind of just takes the question on its surface. And so that'll, I'll, it takes a very interesting question, but deals with it on its surface. So I'm going to split the difference and give the film a five. I feel like the book does a much better job of unpacking the complexity and nuance to that. So I'm going to give the film an eight on the God Meter. So that means that we give the book, probably appropriately enough, actually, I'll start with the movie. We give the movie a five out of 10. We have the movie a five out of 10 on the fog meter, which I feel like is probably appropriate, but we give the book a seven out of 10 on the fog meter. So that, that both of those kind of feel right. If I was pitching the experience of a thing, but that having not been said, and we can kind of all sort of collectively uh, do you, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, let's go down the same line. Do we recommend the book and film the dead zone? Blake, do you recommend the book and the film? Yes. Nathan.
4: Hey, Reed, will you do our listeners the favor and your co-host, um, and perhaps your other guest co-host on this? Can you speak a little bit to the, the Dead Zone miniseries or series or whatever it is?
5: Oh, yes, I can. So the, um, the Dead Zone miniseries starring Anthony Michael Hall, I have only ever watched the first two seasons of it. What is interesting about it is that in the first like two episodes, they cover all the way up through the Castle Rock Strangler. So so it like in the first two episodes of the first season, they get all the way up through Johnny unveiling Frank Dodd and all that other sort of stuff. And then the rest of the season progresses just episodically of Johnny encountering these things, many of which are pretty silly, some of which press forward towards the Greg Stilson plot line. The the series, um, which I did not complete on my own, but I did a little bit of research and discovered that the series does not end with a concrete resolution of the Greg Stilson, Johnny Smith plotline, There are several progressions across, yes, six seasons of, nice. just, <laughs> of just these episodic natures of Johnny. Is it sort like of procedural? Inter-
4: just kind of? Mm-hmm. Kind of.
5: From, oh, yeah. from what I understand, it's kind of procedural and that sure Johnny is kind of, thing, yeah. Yeah. And he's kind of on the run uh, a a bit, almost kind of, you know, quantum leaping, you know, intervening in people's lives and sort of fixing things along the way while things progress. And from what I understand, (sighs) as it gets into like seasons four, five and six. There are some broader narrative arcs that have their own individual resolution. But meanwhile, like Greg Stilson is rising up in the ranks and Johnny is getting closer and closer to him. But the series sort of ends without tying those threads off. So that is why Mm. once I'd uncovered that, I never did the work of watching all six seasons to to go through that, knowing some of the formatting. But again, I have seen uh, Anthony Michael Hall makes a pretty good Johnny Smith. Um, he's, uh, is a little bit more attractive just in general than Christopher Walken. So he's a little bit more sort of the, 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 the good looking, uh, you know, handsome leading man type, but, uh, but he makes a pretty good Johnny Smith. Uh, again, I just kind of lost interest when I realized that even from the but first season,
4: this will is you, be, will you tell us how Walken does that ice line again? And if Anthony Michael Hall delivers.
5: I will, I will in a second, but Anthony Michael Hall does not deliver a great ice line. I will point out one episode that I remember from the dead zone TV series is they literally do an episode where he joins a jury and 12 angry men style. He's the only dissenting opinion because he knows the person oh, didn't boy. do it, but he has to convince without revealing his gift. Right. Right. Absolutely. But, um, you know, I mean like there, they were treading on thin ice there. And as Walken would say that ice <laughs> is going to break. <laughs>
6: that was beautiful now break a base um, and do it again
7: um so so, um,
4: yes thank you thank you for that uh uh, little cliff notes of the series that now i can decidedly never watch um (laughs) i heartily recommend the book um other than walking throughout sheen's performance is good but he does not get much real estate um other than those two things i i I find the book far superior and so would only kind of say, watch the film as a completist.
5: Yeah. Understood. Ian, what about feels like heresy
4: amongst this group? <laughs> it's
5: what you do. Read, read, read the book. <laughs> read the book.
6: Watch the movie so that you can see, Hey, that's the library from Ghostbusters. <laughs> and you can say, Hey, that's chief inspector Dreyfus from the pink Panther movies. What's the, what's the
4: <laughs> so that you can hear walking say what about the fire it's, it's,
6: it, it, it's,
5: the house is burning <laughs> you can still say <laughs> yeah, burn
3: just pull out the mic <laughs>
5: oh, that's so great Andy would you recommend
7: the book and the movie well I just put two and two together and I've seen all six seasons of the dead zone <laughs> <laughs>
5: that's my recommendation right i got work to do
7: did not realize i had seen all of them riveting Mm. um (laughs) i um i would recommend the first half of the book and (laughs) i would um, i'll get back to you on the second half and i would recommend i'd recommend the movie just uh tickle your fancy
5: all right. All right. And for me, uh, uh, <laughs> echoing what everybody has pretty much said, I would heartily recommend the book. I would recommend the film. I like the film. Um, I don't think it comes close to uh, what the book is able to deliver. So heartily recommend the the book, but I do like the film and would recommend the film. Um, and so that puts this installment of Quarterly King and yet another episode of The Fear of God in the books. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this on day and day of release, um, this is election day. Um, and and we would sincerely encourage all of you to make your voice known and make your voice heard. Um, we thank you so much for allowing us to share our voices with you and uh, to spend this time together with us. Um, and uh, we hope this finds you safe and that it finds you well. Um, I want to thank you all so very much for enjoying this for enjoying this conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it um, and uh, really really appreciate it. And listeners, thank you all so very much. And as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, everybody.
4: See you guys. Thank you.
5: The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest news and episodes or for merchandise and to contact us directly. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God Discussion Group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright, who helped me, read Lackey, write our theme music, and to Tyler Smith at morethanonelesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.